right, good morning. So we're going to be continuing today in our Luke series, uh, going to Luke chapter 3 this morning. But I do want to remind us of last week, what we talked about, uh, just this whole idea of noticing open doors, right? Noticing the things that are put before you that God is placing in your life to notice the doors in which you should be going through, right? Where we are seeing where God might be saying yes to something in your life that you may or may not be aware of. Uh, the, the reference last week was about Mary, uh, kind of having these experiences with Jesus and, and step by step, Mary is kind of along the way treasuring these things in her heart, right? We talked about how we should be better treasurers, uh, I don't know if that's a word, of uh, things in our hearts as well, kind of taking those Kodak moments to be mindful of what's going on around us, to notice those open doors, and when we do notice them, to walk through them and not be afraid. Uh, so today we're going to move on to one of the most interesting people in the entire New Testament, I, uh, I like to think that I have a lot in common with John the Baptist, um, you know, the wild, you know, wilderness kind of guy. I don't know. Maybe not the wilderness kind of guy, but I think he's a hairy dude who ate a bunch of weird stuff, and that's, sometimes I do that. So uh, uh, anyway, John the Baptist is very, very interesting, and I think it's so, so interesting that we kind of check in on him in this point of his ministry, and he's going to do some crazy stuff, some absolutely direct things he's going to say to these people at the very beginning of the ministry that we read here in Luke chapter 3. So Luke sets the scene for us, uh, right? Uh, He asks us, how will we prepare? How will we do the things that we're being called to do? What is John the Baptist going to be doing, the things that he's doing with his work? How will you prepare as you go about this work? And then he goes on to insult people very directly, right? He went into the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People are coming to John the Baptist in droves, right? They're going out to him in the wilderness. When I went to uh, Israel earlier this year, I was able to go to certain places where people are like, yeah, John the Baptist probably went here. And it is arid. It is not fun to be there, right? If I was just a person that was casually going, I wouldn't want to spend much time there because it is very treacherous at times. But yet people are still going to him. It sounds like this message is captivating. It sounds like this message, even though it's going to be challenging, is very captivating. And like I said, just like Brad just read, these are the words, these incoming harsh words are being spoken to him. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Yikes. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. We actually get a little bit of what Jesus is going to say later on in his ministry. This is very Jesus-like. I think there's a reason for that, right? John the Baptist, the preparer of the way, is kind of getting people ready for maybe the directness of Jesus. The very directness of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. That kind of directness, right? But it's interesting to see at the very beginning, the preparer of the way is very direct. And I want to ask the question, who's he talking to here? Because we, knew, we know a lot of people are coming to see John the Baptist, but it's very interesting the words that he's using here, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Continuing on, we have Abraham as our father. Uh-oh, John the Baptist is talking to Jewish people, which is very interesting because they're coming to him 
for this, whatever he's, whatever he's bringing to this, this baptism of forgiveness of your sins is different because we can see how the people coming to John the Baptist prior to this are probably Gentiles, right? We would call them proselyte Jews. Maybe they're being baptized and maybe they're having a circumcision of some kind and they are becoming kind of proselyte Jews. I'm not really sure. But from the context of what, of what John the Baptist is saying here, he's directly speaking to Jewish people, right? And like I said before, uh-oh, in verse 7, he says, you brood of vipers. If you look in the interlinear there, the brood might throw you off a little bit. He's literally saying, you offspring of vipers. And if you're a Jewish person in the back of your mind, what does a viper represent to you? What does a snake represent to you? It's not good, I'll tell you that much, right? We don't have a great relationship between Jewish people and this imagery of a serpent, But here in the same passage, he says, you brood of vipers. He later says this kind of like their own quotation. We have Abraham as our father. Well, guess what, Jewish people? You're not acting like it right now. You brood of vipers. You are the offspring of vipers. Descendants of Abraham, maybe. Maybe descendants of Satan. I'm not going as far to say that, but it seems like John the Baptist is really challenging this group of people to say, hey, you ought to be living better. You ought to be the people who are most aware of what I'm preaching about and later to be most aware of what Jesus is going to preach about, but we're not there yet. See, it seems to me that John is touching on a blind spot for the Jewish people, right? This seems to be something they might be very, very proud of, right? We have Abraham as our father. I'm curious, are they singing the song that we sing at VBS and stuff? So everyone stand up. No, no, we're not going to sing Father Abraham, no. But like... I wonder if this is like an internal loop, right? This contextualized, as long as we are descendants of Abraham, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. Even if I'm not following the commandments that God gives to me, as long as I am a descendant of Abraham, Abraham is my father, everything is going to be okay. But I think God might call those people to an even higher calling because, yes, you are descendants of Abraham, and yes, you are the descendants of this very promise right here, right? This is between God and Abraham. In Genesis chapter 17, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. That's awesome. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and to your descendants after you and I will be their God. Look at what it says in verse 7, an everlasting covenant. Does that sound like an expiration date? No. We have Abraham as our father. I can just almost hear this rhythmic chanting. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I can see that as part of their identity. right? As long as Abraham is our father, this promise is entitled to us. right? There's no expiration date. It seems like the Jews have disconnected, though, the repentance aspect of their relationship with God to the actions, right? As long as you are descendants, you will have this promise. But if you are not continually repenting and coming before God and doing these things to honor him, does this really apply? I don't know. It seems from the beginning God has wanted more than just a familial connection, but a relationship, a communion with his, with his creation, right? They base their faith on this, we have Abraham as our father, rather than saying, we have God as our father. God is the one that we serve. God is the one that we worship. 
I find it interesting. Um, it seems to me that what John the Baptist is bringing to these people is, yes, this might be true, but what is also true is what John the Baptist challenges them with, right? He says to them, uh, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of those stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. You're about as useful as that inanimate object right now because God is that powerful. Do you see what he's saying? He's challenging this blind spot. He's challenging this thing that they've put on a pedestal and told for generations. I think we miss that. We really miss that. We live in a young country. We're, we're, we're Gentiles, right? We might sing the Father Abraham song, but you and I are mostly Gentiles, I think. Um, I don't know. For, I don't want to speak for everybody in the room. Um, but we miss out, I think, on the generational storytelling of what this means, right? The people of Israel, they've gone through ups and downs, peaks and valleys through their entire existence. But this has been very important to them, and it should be very important to them forever. But they've missed out on what this actually means to their life. They've missed, they missed out on what God promised them, right? And they've kind of had this title rather than the thing that the title represents living in their lives, they think that the title kind of entitles them to certain things. And I think this is something that we can relate to is because I guarantee everybody in this room has met somebody like that in their life, where they have a certain title that they think entitles them to something else in their life, right? I've had many bosses in my life, good and bad. Uh, I used to work at Chili's, and I can think of two very distinct people, one really, really great boss, her name was Megan. I'll, I'll say her name forever because she was a great boss. She was out there working the line. She was out there doing whatever she needed to do, cleaning up messes, making sure you had space, doing everything that her, in her power and her capacity to make sure that your shift went well. And then I had a not great boss who I won't say their name. Um, she was a, oh, I gave away something already. Um, she was a, a former, you know, she was a waiter, a wait staff with me. And she got promoted, and then all of a sudden she changed, right? That's unfortunate. She wasn't looking out for us like our other manager was. She wasn't, she took more breaks than anybody else, right? That was frustrating to me. She kind of held that title to mean something that it didn't actually mean. You're still a human being. You and I are still coworkers. You're not better than me, right? Just because you have this title does not mean that you have this power, they do have some sort of power and authority, but it doesn't make you a better human being than I am. And when I read what John the Baptist is challenging these people with, is saying that that title is extremely important. Never forget. And Jesus will, will affirm that fact. It's very important that you are sons and daughters of Abraham, but if you've forgotten what that means, you've forgotten it all. If you've forgotten what the covenant means, you've forgotten it all. So my question is, so what is the point? Okay, you're, we're talking about all this. John the Baptist, you're being very direct. You're giving very, very strict and very big warnings to these people, right? Those stones are as valuable as you are at this very moment, right? Very direct. I think this is what he's getting to about the entire you know, discussion he has with these people. He's asking people, he's challenging people to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And I think this sentiment echoes on forever. As long as that covenant with Abraham and God echoes on, so does this. Repentance is the motor that drives everything that we could ever do. 
recognizing that we have sinned and fallen short, but also recognizing that God intercedes for us, that Jesus exists so that we can repent, so that we can come to God, and then everything else changes. Produce fruit in keeping with that feeling that you're feeling. Repentance ought to get you to a place to say, I have to go and I have to do something, right? This is my translation of this. Repent, now do something about it. Repent, recognize how flawed you are, recognize the, dif- the distance between you and God, and now go do something about it. This in and of itself is what makes us different from the YMCA. The YMCA is fantastic. I love social organizations that try to get kids and families back on their feet and doing activities and doing things like that, hosting events. I love it. You should always participate, okay? But what's different between the YMCA doing stuff like that and then us doing things like trunk or treat is that when we do trunk or treat, we recognize that there's a bigger purpose at stake, right? There's, there's much more at stake for doing the things that we do. Yes, we have a lot of fun, like I said. The kids, I love seeing the kids out there in their costumes, playing games. I love seeing Euless in a wig. I loved all those things, right? I'll never forget that, Euless. But there's a bigger purpose involved, right? Repentance is the motor that makes all of this worthwhile. And if we're not basing everything that we do on repentance and a resolution to that repentance, we are just like YMCA. We have great youth group stuff going on. We have fun stuff. We have great times of fellowship and talking together. But if that's all it is, we're wasting our time. If it's not based in this idea that I am repentant, I have come before God, and now I have to do something because that gift is too great for me to bear. And not out of a, out of a place of like this obligation, this sorry, oh man, I have to do this. It's like, no, I get to do this because I've repented, I've come before you, God, and you've blessed me so richly. I have to do something now. I've received this gift, and I have to go. The worst thing that we can do the worst thing that we can do is when somebody gets into a place of repentance is hug them and wish them well, right? When we repent, when someone comes forward, when someone confesses something, it's one of those things where that's the opportunity to let that commitment catch fire in their lives. It's all of our responsibility. It's not just me or the elders, the deacons, the ministry leaders. It's not about that. It's about everybody recognizing the importance of repentance and capitalizing on those moments where people are vulnerable, where people are committing and repenting before God and recognizing that they need uh, grace as much as we do. So I love that this kind of all sets up to ask the same question that we should be asking also in the verses that John the Baptist is kind of preaching this morning. So he has this very direct word, and then all of a sudden in verse 10, what should we do then? The crowd asked. Sure, that we're descendants of Abraham. Sure, that we have some church lifers in here. Sure, we have a lot of people coming from different walks of life. But this same question still rings true. If John the Baptist is saying, produce fruit in keeping with your repentance, if I'm saying, repent, now go do something, what should we do? And I also love that the, the verses kind of continue to answer that question in a way that sometimes verses aren't so clear. Right, beginning in verse 10, what should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. 
Even the tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your joy, with your pay. Excuse me. I find it so interesting because a lot of times we don't have this back and forth in the New Testament. It's hard to see ourselves. But I love seeing the context here where John the Baptist brings these really harsh words and people are convicted and they need to know what they can do in their situation today. What should we do? <laughs> I feel like I hear that over and over. Maybe not, not you guys, but in my own head. Okay, I'm challenged by the words of Jesus. Now what do I do about it? Well, I think there's three things that John the Baptist is trying to get people to see in this whole idea of repentance, this whole idea of continuing to produce fruit. He gives them examples of how to produce fruit with their repentance. And we just saw them. But the first thing that I think that he says here is that we need to value contentment. To value contentment. The very first person or the group that asked them is just the crowd. What should we do? John answered in verse 11, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. It's very straightforward. right? Recognizing that there are people in need and doing something about it and being content with where you are. I know for me, I am always struggling with this very statement. And it's not just monetary stuff. I am awful on Sunday afternoons to be around. I'm terrible. If Michelle was in here, she'd be like saying amen. I am like really bad. Um, I actually got to meet with my buddy not too long ago, and his wife was talking about it, and she says she calls it his Sunday blues. I get my Sunday blues like crazy. Because church happens, and I'm excited, and then I'm like, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to lay down at home. And then 2 o'clock rolls around, us, and then I get this whole idea of I'm a worthless human being, and I have to do something right now, or else I'm worthless. Maybe nobody else struggles with that, but I feel worthless about 2.30 every Sunday. But there's this sense that my wife is able to stabilize me really well because she is very good at being content in the moment, whereas I'm not. Um, I want to kind of bring that example to you because I think so much of the time we, we focus on money and the things that we have and sharing those things, which we should. But I think there is a reality which we need to be content with where we are in life outside of money, content with our relationships, content with how we, you know, treat one another. Not, not saying that we shouldn't strive to be better, but sometimes we get into this cycle where we're being deceptive to ourselves and this contentment is evading us in every aspect of our life. So I want us to strive towards recognizing that where we are good, that we're content where we're good. Valuing that contentment is so important. The second thing is the awareness of the needs of others. I kind of briefly mentioned this, but I want you to see this in the words that John is sharing with us. The tax collectors, <clears throat> teacher, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you were required to. And the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The aware, oh, I, I skipped the, fir the first one. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one in verse 11 who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. It's this idea of you are not the center of the universe. And this is a thing you've heard your entire life. Hopefully you have been taught this your entire life, but it's something that we need to continually be reminded of, this awareness of the needs of others, because just like these people who are lulled into the fact that they are these children of Abraham, John is saying, hey, wake up. 
everybody has the ability to come to God, no matter if you're a descendant of Abraham or not. Be aware that other people exist. Be aware that other people need to know Jesus. And this is a simple teaching that comes from the pulpit. And you're like, okay, Jimmy, very, very churchy. But how much are you actually aware of the needs of the people around you? Not just physically, but spiritually. I know that I end up having these conversations with people that come out of nowhere about where they are spiritually. When they find out I'm a pastor, they feel like they have to like sometimes either run away from me or tell me everything that's going wrong in their life. Like there's no in between. But to me, like both reactions tell the same story. There's something that's going on that they don't really want to talk about or they need to talk about, and they're coming from the same place, that they're in need of something. Awareness of that need is the first step to recognizing how you can be helpful. And the third thing, like I said before, be specific to your context. I want you to ask this question to yourself. What should blank do? What should a teacher do? Right? If you, if you are one of these people coming to John the Baptist, I want you to think of your profession or your state in life or even put your own name in there. Right? What should Jimmy do? John the Baptist, tell me what I personally should do. What should teachers do? What should police officers do? What should whatever do? You, you can put in your own profession that blank, but I think it's so curious that it's so specific here that John the Baptist is trying to speak to the individual person, trying to get us to recognize and wrestle with the things that we don't necessarily want to wrestle with, because I guarantee there's something in this that you already know the answer to, Right? What should I do? I know I should talk to that person that I don't want to talk to. There's always opportunities for me to have that conversation. I know I should do it, but I am definitely not doing it on a regular basis. I guarantee it's that one thing that you're most uncomfortable with right now in your mind that John the Baptist would call you to go do. Do you think it's easy for the tax collectors to hear this? Don't collect any more than you're required to. Man, there goes my vacation. Don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Again, it speaks directly to probably an open wound those people are not wanting to deal with at all. He's speaking directly to the descendants of Abraham, saying, hey, those rocks are as valuable as you are. God has the power. God has the ability to make you content. What's the thing that's stopping you from living this way? Whatever that thing is in your mind, I want to encourage you to challenge it. I really want to encourage you, the name of the sermon is called Do Something, and do something about it. Me and Leon were talking this week about the most effective ways of teaching the church, and usually what I do every Sunday morning is the least effective way to teach the church. I own that. I'm not, you know, saying we shouldn't do this. I think it's important to come together. But I want this to be a time where you are wrestling with something that you don't want to do in your life, and I want you to prayerfully bring it before God. Say, how can I be more content? How can I notice other people? And how can I actually get out of my own way and do something for you? Because I recognize the grace I've received. I've repented. I've been baptized. I've done all the things. I know that you're all powerful, God. You can turn these rocks into more useful servants than me. But what are you going to use me to do? Help me to do something today. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you for the words of John the Baptist. I thank you for his boldness. I thank you. He, he just astounds me because he's just so weird at times, but he is living out his calling in the most direct way possible for him. And I want to encourage everybody in this room to be like John the Baptist in that individual way of servitude, but also the people that came to John the Baptist asking these questions. What can we do? What should we do? Help us to, to ask those questions honestly and to look for answers in our lives, God, because I know that there's answers for everybody to that question. What should we do? Help us to see. Help us to be content. Help us to recognize where you are leading us in our lives. So Jesus, let me pray. Amen. So we are offering this time. It's an invitation if you have prayer needs, if you're saying, I don't even know where to start, we want to offer you this time and space to, to talk to somebody about it. But if you're struggling with the, even the desire to want to do something, I get it. I don't want to do stuff all the time. We all do. But we want to offer this time as a, as, a, as a place of encouragement. You don't have to come forward. We have elders that stand in the back. We have elders that go to the prayer room. Whatever it is, I want you to, to attack that place where you don't want to go this morning. I want to encourage you to do something today while we stand and sing.